Hey everybody, welcome to episode 225 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm coming to you from a warm spring day in Austin, Texas. I'm excited to talk about my topic today. We're going to dig into silencing your self-doubt. Silencing your self-doubt. I think all of us deal with this in some form or fashion as runners. I'm going to first talk about the different types of self-doubt that I have seen and then talk about tactics in terms of dealing with that self-doubt. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we get there, I've got one intro topic, which is to announce what we just learned from the Boston Marathon, the BAA, that they will have a 20,000-person cap on their in-person race on October 11th. They also announced that registration for that in-person race would open up on April 20th and that the process for selecting who might be in the in-person race will look similar to the way it has in the past and that everybody will have a chance to register this time in a three-day window. And then once that's closed, they'll rank everybody and take the top athletes based on your buffer versus your qualifying time and so now with a field size that is about a third less than normal the speculation begins as to what that buffer will be especially given that they're opening it up for qualifying times that go back all the way to September 2018 which was the same qualifying window for the 2020 race And so essentially now you have between September 2018 all the way to April 2021, in which case you could have run a qualifying time, which is a period of two and a half years. And so you have a huge spectrum of people that might be interested and certainly more interest perhaps than ever for live in-person races to be happening, considering that Boston and Chicago, at least in the U.S., will be two of the first big marathons to actually go off. So you have to suspect that those that have a qualifying time, there will be a high demand and that buffer is going to be significantly larger than it has been in years past. There's no way to know, but the speculation has already began. And I would guess that you're probably looking at north of 10 minutes, maybe 10 to 12 minutes if I were just to hazard a completely random guess in order to get into that field but it's going to be a a big buffer and unfortunately that's going to leave a lot of people out at least for this version of the race we shall see but it's good news we have the potential for a major marathon i love the fact that they're putting a field size number on it it's going to be interesting to see what parameters are in place in order to make this a safe event but i think we can all be excited that this announcement has come, which makes it feel all the more real that we might actually get live and in-person big races happening starting in the fall. So stay tuned on that. But again, April 20th is your open date for registration for those that want to apply for the in-person race. They also announced with that same announcement that the virtual race will open up on March 30th for registration And they say that anyone who doesn't get into the in-person race will have the option to run it virtually if they choose. And so there you go. That's our our BAA update for the week. As last week, I was also talking about 
the merits of that virtual race, but we've all got an opportunity to earn our unicorn this year, which I think is pretty cool as we are at the 125th running of the Boston Marathon. So that's a quick word of intro. Mark your calendars. March 30th for the virtual race, April 20th for the in-person race. I can tell you that I will be in Boston no matter what. I haven't decided whether or not I will race it in person or not. I do have a qualifying time that should get me in. But either way, I will be there. I booked my hotel, booked my flight, and I'm excited to be there as a coach and potentially member of the media as well to cover the weekend's events. So I'll be there, and I hope I see many of you there too. So with that as a quick intro, I want to dive into my main topic as we are talking about silencing self-doubt in this episode. The thing I like about running, one of the things I should say that I like about running is the fact that it is relatable to all of us, no matter what degree of fast you might be running out there, no matter what race distance you might be targeting, we all face certain emotions and feelings that are consistent. I talked about this on a recently recorded but not yet released episode with Elite Miler Nick Willis, this idea that in a workout where he's working hard at much faster paces than I, we could feel the same pain even though we're doing different paces. We can feel the same pain We can feel the same elements of self-doubt. We can feel jubilation. We can feel anguish. We can feel triumph. We can feel confidence. We can also feel fear. All of those feelings associated with running, regardless of what pace you might be running or what distance you might be doing it or what level of experience you bring to the sport, all of us can experience those feelings in the same way. And that is one of the things that ties us all together. And I think it's something for all of us to embrace as well. I I, I think sometimes we don't think about it that way. We don't think that what we experience in a race is the same as an elite, but it's true. They might be doing it faster, but I promise you they experience pain. They experience triumph, jubilation, fear, and of course, self-doubt, just like we do. And that's the the thread that holds us all together, which is pretty cool in my mind. And so I have a plan to actually cover off on more of these types of feelings in terms of how we experience them and how to deal with them, both on the positive as well as the more challenging side. And the first one I want to talk about here is this concept of self-doubt. Because this can manifest for all of us in so many forms. And I think it's particularly relevant right now, too, because I was thinking recently myself about what races I might want to do this coming fall. And, you know, my my thoughts went to would I want to run a marathon in the fall? Would I want to do the Boston Marathon? So I started thinking about those things and pretty quickly I stumbled into some self-doubt as to whether or not I could still do it, you know, which is kind of a silly thing to think about. And I've run 20 marathons. So it's silly to think that I would have doubts around my ability to do it. It's silly to think I would have doubts around my ability to go run times like I've run in the past. 
But those doubts are there because it's been a long time. Well, I say a long time, but it's only been just over a year since I last ran a marathon. And yet here I am faced with those doubts. And I know all of us are probably facing those doubts in various forms because it's been a while since we've been able to truly toe the line at something. So we're a little bit out of practice and it's easy to quickly get into a place where you start to question whether or not you can still do what you used to be able to do in this aftermath of the pandemic. And so that's something we can all relate to, but I think we can all relate to those moments of self-doubt that occur both on the macro level, the big questions that we ask ourselves, like, can I even do this goal that's in front of me, this big goal that's in front of me, to also the micro versions of self-doubt that might pop up within a workout where you're questioning whether or not you can do the next repeat on pace. I can tell you we had a tough workout here this morning in warm conditions that we're not quite used to and adjusted to with high humidity and we just had to simply do three times eight minutes at a certain pace and on that second set I was thinking about the third set and asking myself already already in my head can I even do that last set? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, I did it but I had that micro moment of self-doubt as I was suffering through the second repeat, asking myself whether or not I could do the third before I even got to that point. And, you know, we can all relate to that as well. So let's talk briefly about the types of self-doubt that we might face. And then I want to talk about tactics. So we'll talk types and we'll talk tactics. So on the type side, I think it's important to recognize and name the fact that self-doubt can come in different forms. And I'm going to give you a couple of different forms that that dovetails with what I just talked about, this kind of macro level self-doubt and this micro level self-doubt, because I think it's important to note the distinctions between the two. And I think each one requires a little bit of a different approach in terms of how you deal with them. But we have two types here. I'm going to call one, and again, you can categorize these in different ways, but as I think about it as a coach, I I categorize it into at least these two ways. So we're going to categorize it into two ways. You've got the fundamental self-doubt, which is questioning your very worth and value and potential as a human. And then we have the fleeting self-doubt, which comes maybe in smaller moments where you're wondering just hey can I do that next thing in front of me and so it's sort of like the analogy I just gave the macro level or fundamental self-doubt is questioning whether or not you have the ability to do something big and then you have the fleeting self-doubt the micro level self-doubt that comes in a moment that might make you question can I do that next little thing in front of me that typically is driven by the pain in the moment or maybe the circumstances of the moment, but but isn't maybe a fundamental narrative for you. It's just one that comes and hangs with you for a bit. You deal with it and you move on. So there's fundamental self-doubt and then there's fleeting self-doubt. Macro level, micro level. On the macro level, on the fundamental side, again, this is where you're questioning your your, your worth, your value, your potential as a person. And 
to me, this type of self-doubt is the type of self-doubt that is embedded in our personal narratives. It's the stories we tell ourselves about what we can accomplish for whatever reason. It could be because of past perceived failure. It could be because of past perceived insecurities. It could be because of a because someone told you something and you latched onto that as truth and then made it a part of your own narrative. This can come in different forms, but it's a kind of self-doubt that becomes more a part of your identity. It becomes a part of your narrative. And this is obviously the bigger challenge to deal with when it comes to self-doubt. But this is the type of narrative that says you can't do something or you're not something. I can't do X or I'm not X. That's the form that this sort of more fundamental self-doubt comes. And obviously this can apply in life as well as running. But for me, I see this as a coach in forms like I can't run that time for that distance race. I can't run a two-hour half marathon because I'm not good enough. It could come in the form of I'm not a speed runner. I'm not good at the 5K because that's not something I've done a lot of. I'm not good at the 5K. I'm not good at longer distances. I'm not fast. These are stories that become a a part of our fundamental narrative and start to shape how we choose what we do and also shape how we set our goals. And oftentimes these storylines, these these fundamental narratives create boundaries that hold us back from achieving our potential. I think I've talked about this before, but about five years ago, I had a conversation about goal setting. And at that time, I was getting a little bit older. I had three kids, I had a business to run, my own athletes to coach. And I had this narrative in my head that my fastest times were behind me. I'd even accepted that narrative and decided that I could still be happy with that concept, that if running was just about being with people and just about pushing myself in whatever form I could, that that would be okay and that that would be acceptable to me. But parallel to that narrative, I had this idea that I wouldn't be able to get faster because of all these constraints in my life. And I realized in the conversation about goal setting with a friend that that was just a BS narrative that I was telling myself because I don't know why, maybe out of fear, maybe out of, maybe out of trepidation that I would that I could fail if I went for it. Maybe it was because I was resting on my laurels. I don't know. But I had this narrative in my head that my fastest times were behind me and then this person pushed me out of that narrative and said, no, Chris, what's it going to take for you to run personal best times again at all distances? And the funny thing about that conversation is that I knew pretty quickly what I needed to do in order to go after those faster times again. It wasn't 
that I didn't know. It was just that I didn't want to, I guess, or that I was afraid to. And so I discarded that narrative, went about doing the work to go after fast times again. And then I PR'd, I think, in every distance from the 10K to the marathon in the two years after that conversation. Again, that's one example that's related to me, but we've all had those stories, that dialogue in our head that just says, I can't do this because I'm not whatever it may be. And that's one type of more fundamental self-doubt. But it, but it's important to note the distinction there because that is probably more challenging form of self-doubt to deal with because, again, it becomes a part of our programming, part of our personal narrative that we have to undo. Sometimes that's as easy as one conversation like I had. Sometimes it takes significant and consistent work to silence that narrative and to create a new narrative in our head. We'll talk about that in a second. So that's one side, this sort of more fundamental macro level self-doubt. And then you've got the fleeting more micro level self-doubt. And this of course can still be debilitating. It can come in all forms and it can come frequently. It can perhaps get to a point where it overwhelms you. But this is the smaller type of self-doubt that you don't necessarily see coming. You know, you've got the fundamental self-doubt that may be a narrative that's always in your head that you know is there, that is going to pop up and rear its ugly head at any moment, but it doesn't surprise you when it's when it does. And then you've got that more fleeting self-doubt, which you know might you might expect if you're going to do something tough, but it could also pop up and catch you at any moment. Again, this is that devil on your shoulder in the middle of a race that says, this is too hard. I have to slow down. It could be that devil on your shoulder in the workout that says, this is too hard. I'm not going to be able to do the next rep or I'm not going to be able to hit the paces I need for that next interval. It could be that devil on your shoulder at the start line that you don't expect that says, why am I doing this? I don't know if I can even get close to my goal. That's the more fleeting micro self-doubt that might surprise you, that might pop up when you least expect it. Maybe not in a form that's, that's foreign. Maybe it's familiar still, but it hits you in those moments when you might not expect it. And that's the type of self-doubt that you have to be prepared for at all times and you have to have a toolkit for so that you can address it head on when it comes. If I can think of maybe one of the better examples for me of this type of self-doubt, I I think back to the Houston Marathon in January of 2018, and I was trying to run a personal best time in that race. And ultimately, I would achieve it by 12 seconds. I broke my PR by 12 seconds in that race. But I had one of the tougher finishes to a marathon that I've ever experienced in that I started to feel really heavy legs pretty early on shortly after the halfway point they the this almost like monkey I jumped on my back or gorilla jumped on my back and my legs started feeling really heavy really stiff and it came much earlier than I've ever experienced in a marathon about mile 14 15 and by the time I got to 16 I remember telling myself, 
that it was going to require the toughest 10 miles I've ever run, period, much less than a marathon, in order to hang on and get my PR because I was on pace at that point, but I knew the margins were going to be really thin and that I was going to have to fight tooth and nail over the course of those final 10 miles in order to get my goal. And so naturally, when that pain came that early, it also came with self-doubt as to whether or not I could do it, whether or not I could hold on, whether or not I could fight through to the finish line and ultimately get that goal. I was able to, spoiler alert, but it wasn't easy, and I only did it by 12 seconds. So literally less than half a second per mile was what uh, my PR was on that day. And that was a formative moment for me as a racer because I taught myself in that moment, even though I've had a lot of experiences where I've fought hard, I taught myself in that moment that I could achieve or overcome more than I even thought. And, and so that I still carry with me to this day, but we'll talk about the tactics that I put to use in that race in just a second. So those are the two types of self-doubt that I want you to think about and ask yourself, what are your more fundamental questions? What are the thoughts that are embedded in your narrative that are holding you back? And then also think about those fleeting forms of self-doubt. What is the devil on your shoulder when it pops up, what does it say? What moments has that come for you? What moments have you been overwhelmed by that feeling and maybe yielded to it? And then we're gonna put to work. We're gonna put those to the test, those two types of self doubt to the test with some tactics for how to deal with them. And I've got five fundamental tactics that I want to share with you. Again, there might be more, but these are ones that I put to use for me and that I talk about as a coach that can address both of these types of self-doubt. Some touch more on the more fundamental self-doubt. Some touch more on the more fleeting self-doubt. I'll talk about that as we go, but I think all five of these can touch on both types in various forms depending on what you're facing. And so let's talk about these things and break it down. But before we get there, I've got a quick mid-roll ad for you. I want to talk about my partnership with Green Chef. I have talked about them before. They are a meal kit and delivery company that I've been using to help have fresh meals delivered to my doorstep with clean ingredients. And it's been great for me because they come with paint by numbers recipes that allow me to easily make each of these meals but green chef is the first usda certified organic meal kit company you can go to their website you can choose the type of meal plan that you want based on your diet including options for those that might be plant-based you pick your options you pick the meals that you want and then of course they deliver it right to your door with all the clean ingredients and with the recipes that you can easily execute on your own. Their ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and much of the prep has already been done for you so that you can spend less time stressing about figuring out what to eat and more time actually enjoying your meals, which is helpful for me as someone who's not a big cook, but 
the meals are really good, really easy to make. And as I said, the meal cards with the recipes are paint by numbers with pictures so that they're perfectly dummy proof, even for somebody like me who isn't very good at cooking this type of stuff. I've been using them at home. They saved me actually during the, the snow apocalypse as we had some of their meals prepped and on hand. And so if you'd like to go check out Green Chef, I'd highly recommend it. You can go to greenchef.com forward slash 90 rogue. That's 90-R-O-G-U-E and use code 90ROGUE to get $90 off, including free shipping on your order. That's again, code 90ROGUE, 90-R-O-G-U-E for $90 off, including free shipping on your order over at greenchef.com. So go check it out. Really good stuff. And again, easy to use. All right, so let's get back to our conversation about self-doubt, talking again about five tactics you can put to use against the fundamental self-doubt as well as more fleeting self-doubt. First one is going to fall into the category, and I'll talk about some subcategories here, but of but positive self-talk. I've talked about this before, but I want to reiterate emphasize a couple of points here and then also reemphasize the fact that the science supports that this is a thing. This is a real thing that works to help change that narrative in your head. And that's through positive self-talk and really learning to think about the positive side of every story and not the negative side of every story. And I'll talk about two different ways that this can manifest. The first way would be personal affirmations. And so this tactic will help you address some of that fundamental self-doubt where you need to really change that narrative in your head. And that involves writing and then consistently reinforcing personal affirmations. And this is going to look a little bit differently for everyone, depending on the demons that you have to battle. But it's an important tactic to change the programming in your head. And so what could that look like? If it might be for you, it might be about changing the dialogue about what you can do to accomplish a certain goal, in which case writing a personal affirmation and then reinforcing that personal affirmation might look something like, I am capable of running sub four hours in the marathon. It could be, I am fast. It could be, I am capable of qualifying for Boston. It could be, I am strong. There are different forms that this could take, but it is a simple statement that gets to the root of the idea that you need to reinforce the programming you need to change in your head. And once you have that statement, that affirmation, and it could come in a couple of forms, you may have one or two, but probably not more than three things that you tell yourself, then it's a question of, okay, now how do I use this? How do I use this? And how do you use it? You use it by placing it visually somewhere and also by saying those words out loud to yourself routinely, ideally every day. And this gets to 
something that may feel cheesy, but I promise you it works. If you write that affirmation, hang it on your mirror, hang it on your refrigerator, and then say it out loud to yourself in the mirror every day, solo if you need to, and if you might be embarrassed by that, but solo, look yourself in the eye, in the mirror, repeat those words out loud to yourself every single day, multiple times, that will begin to reprogram your brain to switch away from going to that place of self-doubt, that negative storyline, and reinforce that positive storyline, that positive affirmation in your life. And, and I think this is a valuable tool, whether or not you have significant struggles with fundamental self-doubt. It's a tool that can help you reinforce any thought process, any thought process, any positive thought so that you go into an endeavor with as much energy and mojo as possible. So think about what that affirmation is. One, two, maybe three things. Write those things down. Post them somewhere visually where you will see them every day. And then say those words out loud to yourself a few times a day in order to reinforce and reprogram that thought process that positive thought process to drown out those negative thoughts and self-doubts. So that's one tactic under positive self-talk. The second tactic under positive self-talk, which helps you deal with more of those fleeting moments of self-doubt, are the use of is the use of mantras. The use of mantras. And what are mantras? They are a word or phrase that you can repeat to yourself in a given moment when the going gets tough in order to dissociate from the pain and reinforce positive thought. And so while an affirmation is something you every you use every day, a mantra is something that you use in the moment, something that you use within the context of a race or a workout to reinforce positive thoughts and to dissociate from the pain or the negative thoughts that might come. I've talked about this before in races, but I like to use two different types of mantras. We've got the rhythm mantras and the fight mantras, two different types of mantras. Rhythm mantras are the mantras that get you into a smooth, efficient, comfortable rhythm. I like to use rhythm mantras in the middle of the race or early in a race to reinforce a smooth, comfortable form to get you into that relaxed place so that you're using as little energy as possible for as long as possible. And then you have the fight mantras. That's the word or phrase that you want to put to work when the going gets tough. This is the phrase that you bring to the last 10k of a marathon so that when that pain comes and might be at a place of overwhelming you, you can drown that out with the fight mantra. Again, mantras have to be personal. They have to be something that means something to you and that is ideally connected to your bigger purpose for that goal or for that race. But it's something that should be short. One, up to maybe five words max, something you can easily repeat in your head. And this is something where I like to have multiple of these. I like to have two to three 
fight and rhythm mantras that might be swirling in my head that I can pull out of the toolkit when it's time because you never know which of those might resonate with you on the day. And so for me, I've had a couple of these that I've used through the years. In shorter races, I like to use a mantra, which is every second counts. Every second counts. It's that reminder that every second counts that if you're PRing and it might only be about a few seconds, so don't lose focus or slack off or let the pain overwhelm you for even a second. Every second counts. Stay on it the entire race. I've also used a mantra, which is when it hurts, push harder. When it hurts, push harder. As a reminder to lean into the pain, that pain is a signal to press and not to back off. I've also used simple ones like run strong, run strong as a reminder to, to keep a strong, positive running posture with my eyes up, my head tall, my shoulders back, my knees driving. Run strong is a really simple two-word mantra that I've used to just reinforce positive form. And again, all options are available to you. There are no limits to the words that you can use except just the words in whatever language that you speak. And so think about it, ask others what they use, and figure out what's going to resonate with you and put those to work. I'll also remind you that I like to use mantras, practice using mantras. So if I'm prepping for a marathon or half marathon, I might think about in advance of the race what mantras I might want to use and then put those to work in a workout or put those to work in a long run prior so that I can try them on for size and see what kind of power it might give me in the moment to hone in on what's going to work when the race is on. So think about those mantras in advance and put them into practice. So that's tactic number one probably the most common that you've heard of, which is positive self-talk. Use those daily affirmations and use those mantras in the moment in order to push away that self-doubt when it comes. Okay, tactic number two. Tactic number two. It's easy when self-doubt is hitting you to be overwhelmed by the task at hand, to be thinking about the entire task and the magnitude of that task and the challenge universally of that task. It's easy for that to happen. I often say as a coach, you can't run the whole marathon at once. You can't run the whole half marathon at once. For those beginners, you can't do the whole 5K at one time. You have to take it a step at a time. And so the second tactic is about trimming the field of view, trimming your vision to what you know you can do. Cut it all back to the smallest increment that you know that you can do and then just go do that first. Again, you can't run the whole race at once. You can't run all 26 miles at once. You can't run all 13 miles at once, but you can take a step. You can do a mile. You can do a couple of miles, perhaps maybe even a 5k and longer races. There's a smaller interval in front of you that you know you can accomplish. Go do that first. Trim back to that point and find confidence there. And don't worry 
about anything beyond. You'll get to that. You'll deal with it when it comes. And so this is the take it a mile at a time advice. But again, I want to put a more practical edge on it by letting you really think about, okay, what's the smallest increment of this race that I know I can do? And we'll use the marathon as an example. Everybody knows they can run a mile at marathon pace. Most likely you've done that in practice. Typically, everybody knows that you can run two miles at marathon pace. You might even know that you can run three. But find that interval that you feel confident in and break the race up into those smaller intervals. If you're confident in 5K, focus on that. Go execute marathon pace in those first 5K. Or maybe it's the start of the race, and so you're starting a little bit slower than you're working down to marathon pace, but you're chunking up the race in smaller chunks, smaller chunks that you know are manageable, that you can know and that you know that you can accomplish, so that you can break it down into things that are doable, and then focus there. Take your vision off the mountaintop and focus on that next section of trail to use a hiking analogy. You know, you don't know maybe if you can get all the way to the top when you start, but you do know you can do that section of trail that you can see right in front of you. And so that's what I'm asking you to do in this situation. And I think that this tactic can be used to deal with both fundamental and more fleeting self-doubt because if I think about it in the context of the more fundamental self-doubt that says I don't know if I can do this big goal this goes back to what I talked about last week then which is okay maybe you don't know if you can do this big goal but you do know that you can handle the process to achieve that perhaps and so break it down Take your eyes off the goal and break it down into the tasks at hand. Break it down into the tactics that you need to implement in training in order to start taking steps towards that goal. That you know you can accomplish. You know you can do certain mileage per week. You know you can go tackle certain workouts. You know you can run race pace in smaller chunks in practice. So break down the process into smaller chunks that you know you can achieve and then just start taking steps towards it. That's how you use this tactic on the more fundamental self-doubt. And then as it relates to fleeting self-doubt that might come at the start line when you're overwhelmed by what's in front of you, again, just narrow your vision, look down, Focus on the next step. Focus on the smallest increment of the race that you know you can achieve. Rest easy in knowing you can achieve that and then get through that first. And then once you get through that, then focus on the next increment that you know you can achieve and then go get that done. And then so on and so forth until you get to the end. Because you can't know how you're going to feel at mile 20 of the marathon. You can't know how you're going to feel at mile 10 of a marathon, especially if you're running faster than you've ever run. And so therefore, while you should think about the tactics you might use in dealing with the pain at that point, you shouldn't dwell on it. You shouldn't have anxiety over it. You shouldn't have self-doubt associated with it. 
because you can focus on the chunks that you know you can accomplish and then let the outcome take care of itself because what if you feel good at mile 20? What if your struggle comes at a different point in the race as it has for me sometimes in the first six miles instead of the last six? So again, chunk up the race, chunk up the workout into small increments that you know you can achieve and then work it one at a time. This is the classic one mile at a time adage, but applied to this concept of self-doubt. So that's tactic number two. Trim back the task to what you know you can accomplish and then take it one smaller chunk at a time. Number three. And this is one of my favorites, by the way, which is to simply take more at-bats. You have to numb yourself to the doubt and to the fear by by taking more bats, by putting yourself in that situation more often so that you get better at dealing with it and so that you also become numb to it in a way. And this may not be feasible in the near term, but over time, if you think about your trajectory and your running career over the long term, it's, it's absolutely possible over the long term. And so I think about the 20 marathons that I've run and I can promise you, I've faced self-doubt, I've had anxiety, I've had nerves, I've had fear going into all of those marathons. That doesn't change. But what I have been able to accomplish is develop better tactics for dealing with those challenges when they come. And so if you're struggling with self-doubt, then I encourage you to put yourself in the place of that self-doubt just more often. Just more often so that you become kind of numb to it. I was looking at my racing results. I have a spreadsheet that I keep on my computer that has all the races I've ever raced and the date, the race, the distance, the time, some notes on how I did and so forth, some notes on how it felt. And I was looking at that today and updating it. And I've raced 151 times in my 20 year career, 20 plus year career as a runner across all distances from the mile all the way to a couple of ultra marathons. And I can tell you that I'm much better at dealing with self-doubt now than I was 15 years ago uh, when I'd only done, you know, maybe 20 or 30 races. And so every time I tow the line, I practice my ability to face these types of fears and they never go away. But I promise you they do get easier to address. And so this tactic really, I think, is more in dealing with that more fleeting self-doubt. But it can come in different forms. So, for example, if, if you're struggling with that race anxiety or that race execution-related self-doubt, then give yourselves opportunities, more at-bats to go after races. And this can come in forms that aren't necessarily racing all out. Maybe it's racing a practice or training race that's shorter in distance in advance of your big race so that you can practice dealing with these anxieties and also practice perhaps pacing on the day where maybe you're not going to the full edge and trying to get the most out of that race, but you're using it as an opportunity to deal with these doubts and practice and just toe the line in a way that starts to numb these feelings that might pop up for you. And it could also mean, 
doing hard things in practice and workouts where for me, every time I have the chance to execute a race prep long run where I'm doing pace work inside of a long run in advance of a marathon, that is what I like to call a dress rehearsal where I'm wearing all the things I would wear on race day. I'm using all the nutrition that I might have to be used on race day. I'm putting to work the mantras that I just talked about. And therefore, in a small way, in practice, I'm also practicing how to let that self-doubt go and address it head on in whatever forms. And so basically, this third tactic is to give yourself more at-bats because more at-bats won't mean that it will go away, but it means that you'll get better at dealing with it. The fourth tactic And this one might be the scariest one, but that's to, at times, not all the time, but at times to step completely out of your comfort zone and try something that you think is impossible or really hard for you. Impossible or really hard or well out of the reach of what you've done before. And so what does this look like for me? A couple of years ago, it meant training for a 50-mile race because I had never done that before. I knew that I could go do marathons. That was something I could wrap my head around. But I didn't know whether or not I could run a 50-mile race on a very tough course in Squamish, British Columbia with a lot of elevation. And there's so many things about that race with the ups and downs and the distance that were scary to me. But signing up for it and going through the process of training for it helped me deal with self-doubt because I was so far out of my comfort zone that I was faced with self-doubt in spades. And using some of these other tactics, I was able to methodically address and deal with all those things and ultimately get through that 50-mile race. But Pick something that's completely out of your comfort zone. In my prior career, or earlier in my career, I should say, as a runner, I stepped into the triathlon world for a period of time and did a couple of half Ironmans, I think nine total triathlons from sprint distance up to the half Ironman distance. And that was another opportunity for me to step completely out of my comfort zone because I wasn't a good lap swimmer. In fact, I was terrified of that. I was terrible at it. Couldn't even go up and back in the pool without needing to stop in the middle and take a breath. And of course was therefore terrified about open water swimming, you know, was a decent biker, but not a great cyclist. And so that was something that was terrifying to me, but I stepped into that world for a period of time as another way to step completely outside my comfort zone and try something new. And so this could come in the form of a running pursuit but it could also come in the form of another pursuit or hobby that might take you out of your comfort zone. I was talking to James Dodds recently, who's been practicing and studying guitar and has been singing and recently posted a video on his, his Instagram at Dodds James, if you want to check it out, where he actually played something and sang on Instagram as a way, again, to step completely out of his comfort zone, exercise some of his creativity, but also just face head on 
some of the self-doubts that he deals with. And so that practice of stepping completely outside of your comfort zone, not all the time, but periodically and in a measured way helps you face self-doubt head on. And I think both types of self-doubt because it, it proves to you that you can do things that you didn't think were possible. It proves to you that you can do hard things. And then when you're in the moment dealing with all that insecurity and doubt about your ability to execute even the most basic things in that area, then you're getting a lot of practice dealing with this sort of fleeting self-doubt. I think that type of practice of stepping outside your comfort zone also shows you that it's okay to fail, that it's okay not to take yourself seriously at times, that it's okay to make mistakes and keep learning and keep progressing because when you're so far outside of your realm of expertise that you have no expectations about what you can do, then it shows you and puts in perspective perhaps your aptitude and success as it relates to your primary thing if that's running for you and makes you maybe take it a little bit less seriously and or give yourself more credit for what you're able to accomplish in that world by, again, comparison to how you might be operating in a world that's more foreign or more new. So step outside of your comfort zone periodically. Try something completely new. If you're a marathoner, set a goal to run your fastest mile ever. Train for a mile race for a time. Train for a 5K and set a big goal associated with that. Not only will it help you, as I talked about last week, in mixing it up and trying different things so that you expand your speed and potential at all distances, which only helps the longer stuff, but it also, again, takes you outside of your comfort zone, forces you into something new, helps you deal with self-doubt in spades so that it starts to be normalized and you develop tactics for then dealing with it in those situations where you might be going after that big running goal. So that's the fourth tactic. Step outside your comfort zone periodically. And I'm talking about completely outside your comfort zone. Not, you know, a little bit outside your comfort zone. I'm talking about completely outside your comfort zone to help address these things head on. Okay, last, number five. Tactic for dealing with self-doubt involves other people. It involves other people. And there's kind of two forms that I want to talk about here. Use other people, develop a support network to help you deal with self-doubt. And that can come in two forms. One form is a mentor or coach who knows you, who believes in you, and who can speak truth into your life about what you can accomplish. I believe I've talked about this recently, but a theme that I consistently see when I interview Olympians is that they had someone in their life at a young age who spoke truth to them before they had any potential or were showing any Olympic potential. And, and that person said, you can be an Olympian someday. Could be a parent, grandparent, coach, teacher, teammate, somebody in their life spoke to them and said, you have potential to be great. You have potential to be an Olympian well before they were showing that potential. And recently on the Clean Sport Collective podcast, we interviewed Don Harper Nelson, who 
was an amazing interview, by the way. So go check out episode 84 if you haven't already on the Clean Sport Collective podcast. But her story was a fascinating one. She grew up in East St. Louis, an area that has a tough history. And yet she had Jackie Joyner, Kersey, who was also from that area, come back to East St. Louis, see her race and pull her aside and say, you, Dawn, have potential to be great. So that was an idol of hers that spoke that that potential to her. She also had a high school coach who not only showed her how to do the hurdles, she's a 100-meter hurdler, showed her how to do the hurdles, but also said, hey, you could be the best in the world someday. And that truth, even though it may have felt like it was a bit out of context for her at the time, planted a seed that would grow into something great and eventually she would be Olympic champion. And again, that's an Olympic story, but I think that's true for all of us. You need to find that coach or mentor who knows you, who knows your potential, who knows the sport of running, who can look at you and say, hey, this is what's possible if you do the work. You need that person to believe in you because if you can put your trust in them and if you can believe their belief, then it helps to silence any self-doubt. And I think this gets to a lot of that fundamental self-doubt where you say, look, if my coach believes, I know I can do it too. So find that mentor, that coach who can speak that truth to you. And then the second part of this support network is finding those proxies, those other people that might have a story like yours, that might have a background like yours, that might look like you, might have the same body type or body shape as you, that you can watch and that you can measure yourself against, not necessarily competitively, but to the point where you can say, look, if that person can do this, then I can too. If that person can do this, then I can too. So find the inspiration in your peers that will show you what's possible. This happens all the time around Rogue where we have our mini pace groups within each group. And inevitably, when there are big ba- or big breakthroughs from a couple of people in the group, then oftentimes there are breakthroughs coming from the other people in the group because they have been shown what's possible by their teammates. And so find those people that are like you and go after big goals together because when you see them perform, that will give you the confidence to overcome self-doubt so that when it's your turn, you're ready to roll. So find that network of support, that coach, that mentor, and those teammates, those proxies that can show you what's possible by doing it before you do to help deal with some of that fundamental self-doubt. So there you go. Those are my five tactics. Positive self-talk. Number one, take it a mile at a time. Number two, trim it to what you know you can do. Number three, give yourself more bats. Just do it more often so that you have plenty of opportunity to practice. Number four, step way outside your comfort zone. Find a new realm to explore in order to show yourself what you can do back here in your core pursuits of running. And then number five, find that support network, that mentor, and those teammates that can show you what's possible as well. If you do those things, then I promise you 
You will have more tools in your toolkit to overcome self-doubt in whatever form it may come. It's never going to go away. So you can forget about that idea. It's always going to be there, but I promise you, you'll become better at dealing with it when it comes and that will help you unlock whatever goals might lie ahead. So there you go. We'll wrap this episode 225 here. As a reminder, you can go to greenchef.com and use code 90ROGUE, that's 90ROGUE, all lowercase, to get $90 and free shipping on your order with them. You can also go to roguerunning.com to check us out and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on at roguerunning. We'll wrap it here. That's it for this week. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.